Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Um, well, we are today wrapping up uh, one of our longer series uh, that we've done. We're wrapping up the Creed series, and I think it's pretty perfect um, that here um, on Palm Sunday, right before we step into Resurrection Sunday, and, and, and we're going to be talking about the resurrection of Jesus, um, but today we are wrapping up the, the Creed celebrating the truth that we have the promise of our own bodily resurrection. And so if you've got your bulletin, um, if you're tracking along digitally, however it is you're going to go with this, um, let's go ahead and go to the notes um, here for this final time in this series. And we've led with this idea that uh, what we believe is the framework of our relationship with God. And that's why we have been revisiting the, our core beliefs. The, here in the, the old Roman creed, which we've been going through, um, it covers um, these, these 10 points of our core beliefs. Now, they're not all of them. It's not, it doesn't cover everything. They're, the Nicene Creed goes a little further. The Apostles' Creed goes a little further, and we identify with those things. But the, here we go through these things that are our core beliefs, and they are the framework to help us make sure that when our minds and hearts, that we are painting an accurate picture of who God is, we're not cropping him down, making him too small, removing him from part of our life where he wants to be involved in the fullness of our life. And we're doing this from, a, from, a, from the question of why. Why is this important? And if you've been around a toddler for any length of time, you realize that that is one of the core questions, life questions that we as humans grab a hold of. We want to know why. And so whether you are spending time with a kid, they will drive you up the wall with why is blue, blue? I have no idea. I have no idea why blue is blue. And only a three-year-old would ask that question. But what a beautiful question. And, and so many times we move on past the why. And as we've been looking at this series, the why, and understanding the heart behind it, not just that we're just going to embrace it and recite it, but that we understand why it is essential. Let's go ahead and look at Luke chapter 1, verse 1, one more time. The uh, gospel writer of Luke opens up with this idea that many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Again, as we're going into Jesus's uh, death, burial, and resurrection, there were many who had drawn up accounts. There were lots of witnesses. There's just in a handful of people who say that this happened. There were a bunch of them, and, and it was imperative to Luke that guess what, just because a lot of people have covered it, it doesn't mean it doesn't still need to be covered. Um, our own stories matter, our own investigation matters. And so he says like, yeah, lots of people have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write 
an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. That is what our faith rests on. Our faith rests on the certainty of the things that we have been taught. And so we're gonna revisit the old Roman creed one more time. If you're new with us, um, then uh, we've chosen the old Roman creed because it's, it's old. Um, it dates back to uh, year 125. Um, John, the gospel writer of John who wrote um, John 3.16, he died in year 100. Uh, so this is just really good, dates really, really uh, close to uh, even when the uh, gospel writers were um, on the planet. And these were core things that the early church believed. So let's revisit it one more time. I believe in God the Father Almighty and in Christ Jesus, his only Son, our Lord, who was born from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, who under Pontius Pilate was crucified and buried and on the third day rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. Whence he will come to judge the living and the dead and in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the remission of sins and the resurrection of the flesh, life everlasting. These are core things that we believe in, core things we believe that in the resurrection of our bodies. This is one of the core things we believe in. That's why as sad as a Christian's funeral is, there is this baseline of hope. As we shed our tears and are sad, we don't get to have any more conversations and, and those moments have slipped away for, uh, and we're not get to do those things anymore. For us who are in Christ, we grieve from a place of hope. It changes absolutely everything. And to be without that kind of hope is to be hopeless. And hopeless is a very painful, desperate place to be. Um, now, being a, a guy born in 1973 and being a, a young, impressionable guy in the 80s, um, there's nothing more 1980s than the tension between the United States and Russia, okay? There's a reason that the, the, the Rocky Four bad guy is a Russian, uh, because there was nothing more than us in the 1980s wanted to see was a great big Russian get beat up. Um, that, was just, we, that was just, that was what we wanted. And so, um, and just this tension. And because there was this place that we, especially here in the Bible Belt, enjoyed religious freedom and people under communist oppression, um, they, did, they had to deal with not religious freedom, but slavery to no religion. They were forced into a place of having and not being able to have any religion whatsoever. Not just that it was anti-Christian. Yes, Christianity was, a, that was one of its number one's opponents, but no religion whatsoever. And there was a man who, who was the in charge of Russia for 18 years. His name was Leonid Brezhnev. And Brezhnev died kind of at the height of the Cold War. He died in November 10th of 1982. 
um, and he is there and, and he, he's passed and he lies in state for a few days and then his actual funeral is November the 15th, 1982 and Ronald Reagan, um, because of the tension and everything, he was not going to attend um, the funeral himself. He was, just, he was just not going to do it. There was just a lot of, a lot of significant political tension. Um, fear of nuclear war was just everywhere and, and it was just... It was just not going to go, but it was not going to ignore the fact that this world leader um, had passed. And so in his stead, um, he sends his vice president, um, George Bush. And George Bush is there in Russia, there in um, Moscow with the funeral of this guy who had run atheistic communist Russia. And his wife, Leonid Brezhnev's wife, his lady named Victoria, and she stood at the, at the head of his casket, silently, stoically, like what we would imagine a stereotypical Russian would do, and sat at the head of his open casket, unmoving during all of the processional as everybody's going by, and then st- stands there, motionless, at the head of his casket. And then as the soldiers come, to begin to close the casket, to begin to do that, Victoria Brezhnev does one of the most courageous acts of civil disobedience because this was completely against the law. And Victoria Brezhnev, right at the last second, she reaches in and with her hand makes the sign of the cross over her dead husband's chest. There in the middle of atheistic Russia, This woman had secretly, quietly held on to faith in Christ. And there in the middle of that, knowing that who knows what what quiet consequences she paid, that she was supposed to be the most staunch, atheistic little wife that there could ever be, that she's like, I cannot sit here and look at my dead husband's body and not share and express my hope in Christ, that somehow there is that he was wrong and that the hope in Christ is right, and I cannot quietly sit here and do nothing. And she just sits there and with her hand makes the sign of the cross over her dead husband's chest and and just will not let go of it. The hope we have in Christ should uh, embolden us to live this life differently no matter the consequences. No matter the consequences. That if we really believe that this, that, that this life is not everything, that the life we have in Christ is bigger and more powerful and carries on than those we care about in our lives, we should make some bold actions. We should make some bold actions. We should do some stuff that puts ourselves on the line a little bit, that burns and puts at risk a little relational equity that we should have some conversations. We should begin to say, you know what? I get it that you don't get it, but this is where my faith is. This is where my faith is. I'm not telling you you have to do it, but I'm telling you, you can certainly ask me why I do. You can certainly ask me why I've placed my faith in that, why I'm willing to live my life differently on the other side of it. It changes everything in our hope in Christ. And here at the, at the very end of our creed, is placed this thing that says that all that we believe has consequences, not just for this time where we are in these flesh suits, but it has even promise for when we are temporarily done with this, 
and this thing comes back the way it was meant to be, that there's gonna be a resurrection. It's going to change everything because the resurrection of the flesh is the culmination of the new creation. So I want to walk you through real quick on how God works in this place of restoring the fullness of who we are, the fullness of who we are. See, our spirits were made new the moment we placed our faith in Christ. As soon as you place your faith in Christ, you are a new creation. You are heaven ready. Heaven is your home. You You are dead in your sins. And as soon as you place your faith in Christ, you are alive in him. Your spirit is made new immediately. Immediately. But you're not just a spirit. The most important part of you is a spirit. The most essential part of you is spirit. And that is handled immediately in your place, in your place of faith in Christ. Let's go ahead and look at what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24. It says, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Crossed over, not is crossing over, is in the process of it. Stay with it and you'll get there. No, you've placed your faith in Christ and you have stepped over. You have crossed over from death to life. You were dead, now you're alive. It's done. That's Jesus's words. And that is our spirit that has been made alive. It's been made heaven ready right in that moment. Paul writes to the believers in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter two, he says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Let's pause right there. How rich in mercy is God? Praise God, I believe he's rich in mercy enough to to love me and to, to save me and forgive my sins. Is he rich enough to pay for everybody in San Angelo's sins? Is it rich enough to pay for everybody in Texas' sins? It's a lot of sins, people. Is he rich enough to cover sea to shining sea of the USA? Is he rich enough to cover the entire globe? Is he rich enough to cover the entire timeline of the globe? He's rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy to be able, his great love, God who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Not on life support in transgressions, and he revitalized, no, we were dead in transgressions, and it is by grace that you have been saved, and God has raised us up with Christ. This is past tense. This is what has taken place. He has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Your your placeholder, your seat is there in heaven right now. It's there. As soon as you place your faith in Christ, our spirits are made alive, and we are, are placed, we're seated there with him in, in heaven. And the second Corinthians 5.17 reminds us that therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So our spirits, we're, we're like Christ, scripture says. We are fully righteous to the point that says we won't be judged. It's already dealt with. We, we are fully made right in Christ. But here in this 
world. There's another part of us that's still very much functioning, and that's our soul. Our souls, our mind, our will, and our emotions. When you placed your faith in Christ, you were stepped over, your spirit stepped over from death to life, but that soul that made a decision to accept that still had some habits, still had some hurts, still had some hangups, still had all sorts of these different things connected to it. And God in his richness of mercy begins to restore our souls. He begins to restore our souls. The newness of life begins to then restore our souls. So guess what? So our spirit was made new and now our souls are being renewed as we trust in Jesus. Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, when you uh, go to buy a house, okay, um, there's you know, this thing called a closing. You know, you, and so you go into the closing and you walk into the closing, not the owner of that piece of property. And then you walk out of that closing, the owner of that piece of property. It once was not yours, and now it's yours. And you have all the rights, all the, every decision that's made is associated with it. But guess what? When that house and that property, it still looks like it did when you walked into the closing and you walked out of the closing. You have big plans and vision for what that home could be. But guess what? There was nobody showed up to, with a move that bus moment while you were in the closing. Nobody said, oh, I've got the vision. It's now theirs. It doesn't, it's not supposed to look like that. It's supposed to look like this. So, but guess what? But now you have the right to go in to make those changes because you, it fully belongs to you. If you decide, oh, this is a lovely home and you show up with a crew one day and it's not your house, um, you may be looking down the end of a shotgun. You may be getting yelled at. You may have the police called on you. You can't go in and begin to make changes in things where you don't have the legal right to do that. And so there's this place where we're making our faith declaration, placing our faith in Christ. We have that fully step over moment. We weren't fully his, and then now we're fully his. And there's no, there's no negotiating that. It's done, we're his. But then we invite him to have his full way in our lives, to bring his restoration into our lives. And that is what the soul part is, is God, you love me enough to call this yours. But Lord, I know you have a bigger vision than what I've done with it. I know you have a bigger plan than what I've done with it. And so Lord, now I invite you to begin the restorative process in my life. And that's what the soul restoration process is. So, um, 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore, do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. What is the outwardly we are wasting away? Um, those of us who've crossed the 45 mark understand a little bit of what that means. You're like, I still feel pretty spry on the inside. 
But I try to get my body to do something, and it don't like it. It don't want to. And as the calendar clicks and it goes further, we still can feel 25 on the inside and have this outwardly wasting away thing. And that's what it's talking about. It's talking about that our physical forms are still following the patterns of this world. That I don't have time to get into it now, but there's this beautiful grace at work that lets this physical thing be done with. There's this beautiful grace at work that allows us to have an exit from this so that we don't live in a decaying shell for eternity and allow us to be able to have a new glorified form. But here, Paul recognizes that, yeah, there's some stuff happening on the outside that's not enjoyable, but on the inside, we're being renewed. God is doing something in us on the inside where he is transforming us and moving us forward. So we see that there's these multiple realities at work in us. Our spirit is made fully alive and heaven ready. Our soul is being restored and our body is still going its process of aging and doing all that it does that we will eventually be done with it. Revelation 21 gives this beautiful picture of how this all culminates and comes to an end. And in Revelation 21, verse three, it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now this is well after this earth is, is done. And it says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He understands that while we're still in this process, there's some tears. There's some tears. There's some tears in dealing with our soul process. And there's certainly some tears when our loved ones' bodies are come to an end and they're done. But we say that there's a point where that we're not having to deal with this anymore. And he's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things, it's passed away. This is a promise that we're going there. This is a promise. It's it's not fully there. We're still in this part, but we're heading to a spot that all of this will be done with and done away. And he who was seated on the throne, and that's one of our core pieces of what we believe, said, I'm making everything new. Here we see a progressive word. I am making everything new. He fully made us alive in Christ. He is restoring our soul and he is at one point what will all be new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Because folks, our bodies, our flesh, They will eventually be made new because of Jesus. Eventually, our bodies, the fullness of the new creation will finally fully impact this stuff right here. It took care of the most important right off the bat, your spirit. It is restoring your soul as you allow the spirit to work in your soul. And then one day, the full package is done and our bodies get 
renewed. First Thessalonians 4, 16 tells us this. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. We will rise first. It's not just all of a sudden that there's just a new body waiting. God's commitment when he formed man, he formed Adam and Eve in the garden to live in the physical form he created eternally, and he is restoring that. He did not, just because we placed these, these bodies into the earth, or those that have been lost by sea, or those that have been lost in a fire, or any of those different things, those God who created the world with a word, who reached into dust and formed Adam from the very beginning, can pull our particles back together and bring them and make them what they were designed to be from the very beginning, to make them fully restored, fully right. And he is not say, okay, this part of your physical form was just a temporary throwaway. No, I created every every aspect of you and I'm gonna renew every aspect of you, even your physical body, all of it. There is no throwaway part of your life. Even this that the scriptures call, that Paul calls a tent. We get to sit there and this tent gets to become what it was meant to be. And that is a true habitation, a true true dwelling for God. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 16 says, For if the dead are not raised, this is critical. This is critical to our core beliefs. If the dead is not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still as stuck in your sin as ever. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Now see, Jesus said that when he said that uh, there was a person who who had passed and he referred to them as asleep. And they're like, no, 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 they're dead. Um, they're dead. And he's like, yes, they're dead. But I need you to get a hold of this truth that in me, that death is not final. Their body, he, the scriptures refer to those who've died in Christ as simply, they're asleep. Why? Because they will have the great awakening. That we've called revivals the great awakening, but the real great awakening is when those who have died in faith in Christ, their bodies come fully alive. That is the real great awakening. For those who have fallen asleep in Christ uh, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You know, there are those who would try to say, you know, that, you know, it's this whole idea of the resurrection of the flesh. That's kind of a creepy little deal. But, you know, you know, the principles that Jesus taught us to live by, they'll allow you, you know, to just really get the most out of life. So, you know, what? we'll just follow Jesus's teachings and just really be able to get the most out of life. And Paul says, he says, if it's just in this life, that we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied. Why? 
Because guess what? To follow Jesus doesn't mean to live a suffering-free life. Try to love everybody who doesn't love you. That's the definition of suffering. Being kind to someone who hates you. It's just, we can't, we can't almost not even do it. It's like, Lord, please let me punch someone. Just one. If I can just punch one, I think I'll be able to just pull it all out on that one and it would be all right. Because I'm telling you, living this life of, of radical forgiveness and radical love is hard, folks. It's hard. But if we're going to echo the heart of a God who gave himself up for them, then we're going to have to live that kind of same life. Why? Because heaven awaits. It awaits us and awaits the one who we're loving on. But if we're saying that I'm just going to live this life in Christ because it just makes this life all sweet and perfect and everything, Paul says, no, no, it's hard. It's hard, but our hope in Christ, it changes everything. Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, through Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. God brings that life right through the same door that death came in. That all of a sudden it came through a physical man. God says, okay, here comes Jesus. And he's bringing life through a physical man. For in Adam all died, and so in Christ all will be made alive. We go on in 1 Corinthians 15. 52, it says the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised to live forever and we will be changed. We will be changed. All of us, those who are alive, those who have fallen, all of a sudden we get our glorified form and it'll be a physical body. This isn't a spiritual metaphor. This is our everything, our spirit, soul, and body fully restored, fully made new, alive in Christ. And the scriptures aren't silent on this subject. In fact, pretty much all of 1 Corinthians 15, and it's not a short chapter, 58 verses. All of, Christ, all of 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the resurrection of the flesh. It talks about it. This isn't just something that, you know, preachers kind of found a verse here or there and it was supposed to be metaphorical. No, the scriptures seal it up to make sure we don't all of a sudden say, oh, that's a metaphorical resurrection for you. No, it is a physical bodily resurrection for you and I and all who have called on the name of the Lord. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed... We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, not because we wish to be unclothed, okay? Now that is kind of, it is used as a metaphor, but what he's saying is we don't just want to die, okay? He says we're not just looking to die here, okay? So you can be ready 
to be in the presence of the Lord without like being like suicidal. And so I said, you know what? I'm just ready to be in his presence. We can be ready to be clothed with, his, with, our, with our real physical form, but not just because we're just trying to exit this body, but because we're ready for him. But instead, clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal, I so love this phrase, what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. We see death coming and swallowing up our physical life. But the scriptures say that when we're done with this, that here, what is mortal, we're finally done with, it finally gets consumed by life. We get to step into the fullness of life. It is absolutely a beautiful beautiful thing. I don't know if you've ever got to be with someone whose faith was so squarely planted in Christ as they had their last moments with their family and were ready to step over into heaven. And I'm telling you, it is such a sweet, holy thing to be there as you could just sense the presence of God. It's, it's like the veil between heaven and earth just gets so, so thin and you just like, it's just right there. And, and as they just are full of faith, feeling the spirit of God, drawing them home, echoing them open-armed home as this physical form is, is being done and they, and they, they breathe their last breath. And it's not scary, it's not creepy, it's, 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 it's not even sad. It is incredibly glorious. And yeah, the sadness of not getting to talk and have those connections, but I'm telling you, there is something holy when somebody gets it and they understand and you get to be a part of that moment when somebody steps over from, 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 the, from death and life and you really feel that that, that mort- mortality got swallowed up by life. Verse five, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing of what is to come. In the Philippians 1, 6, see, being confident of this, of he who has begun a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. The fullness of the new life is not fully completed until the return of Jesus. And then we're all receive our glorified bodies. And that is the completion of the new work, spirit, soul, and body. And folks, our faith is placed squarely on that. Our bottom line today is this, in Jesus, our newness becomes even more new. He's made us new and he's making us newer every minute we let him be Lord in our lives. It just just keeps getting richer and richer as we move forward. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.